welcome to the Behavior Chef Podcast. It is your host, Clint Evans, and this is the podcast that centers around healthful behaviors and helpful conversations. This is episode 11, which is crazy to think we're already past the 10 mark. Uh, if you don't know much about podcasts, a lot of podcasts don't make it out of the first 10. So we're making it out of the first 10 and we're pushing on pretty hard. We have a fantastic uh, guest today. I've talked to you guys about precision nutrition before. We've we've done some posts on it. And uh, Tony and I from uh, Behavior Chef, we're actually in the class of precision nutrition level one uh, right now. And I'm joined today by a special guest from Precision Nutrition. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, this is almost Dr. Adam Fight. Adam, introduce yourself, man. Wow. Number 11, Clint. That's yeah. a huge honor because like you said, which I wasn't aware of, not many people make it out of the, the first 10. So we've kind of crossed that threshold, but I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on today, Clint. Thanks very much. Hey, no problem. Uh, Thanks for your time. Yeah. Well, in terms of the introduction, I, I appreciate the almost doctor. I think it sounds pretty awesome. It won't sound as awesome as Dr. Coach Adam Fight. hopefully in the next couple months. But yeah, so I am a doctoral candidate in sport and exercise psychology. I'm finishing up my dissertation right now. And I also serve as the head strength and sports psychology coach for Precision Nutrition, which Clint alluded to, uh, really a game changer in the behavior change and nutrition coaching space. So we strive to be the leader in nutrition and lifestyle coaching for everyone. We do that through a research-driven and practical experience model, and we're very fortunate to have grown our, our company, our network, our students, and our clients uh, throughout all of many years that we've been able to do this. So uh, within that role, I help in the curriculum circles. So I'm creating content with our awesome curriculum team on educating coaches and trainers on how to best coach nutrition, as well as uh, formally being in the level two certification. So Clint, when you're done with level one, we got to get you ready for level two, where we really do a deep dive, but let's uh, do it. It's, it's great. It's great to, great to be here. I look forward to chatting with you. Yeah, we do too. I've been looking forward to this for, for a while. Uh, you know, we got introduced a few weeks back and we just kind of finally found a time to nail down a time to get in it. And we've been talking, you know, off record for a good 30 minutes, just introduction. And we have a very similar background as far as, um, you know, we were both uh, high school athletes. You went on and arguably were a little more successful than me in college because I didn't go on to to play. But, um, you know, it, it, I know it's so funny we, in behavior analysis in general, you know, our main circle here at Behavior Chef, we talk a lot about, um, actually, we just did, if you're listening, we're, we're doing a 20, in May, we're doing um, the you know, letters of the alphabet, one every day, uh, using a behavioral term and giving kind of a dissemination piece. And we've just done recently ontogeny and phylogeny, which are, um, you know, your phylogeny is the, the biological uh, components of a human's behavioral repertoire, things you get through evolution, through your family history. And ontogeny is a big fancy term that just means a, a, a mechanism of learning that you have been through your past history. And so, I can imagine, we're just talking about these two things, I can imagine for you, the ontogeny or the uh, uh, learning history that you have through, uh, and uh, arguably, I've, I've listened maybe a little more than our listeners, and hopefully they'll go check you out on some other platforms, because Adam's on a bunch of different uh, uh, mediums, you can YouTube him, there's a lot of uh, other podcasts that are really good that have him on it, just talking about similar things, but he really talks about a, a lot of his own history with you know sports and with uh, football and with coaching. I can imagine how easily that kind of just guides you into not only your PhD program, but working with PN. So can you speak to that a little bit? 
Yeah. So I, I love how you take that angle of the ontogeny piece, because for me, coming from a background in higher education and being married to a partner who's been studying teaching and administration, a lot of what I have done and you know, the circles that I work with at PN, especially focusing on youth athletes and some of our higher level clients and teams is this experiential experience, right? Where we're learning by doing, we're, we're going through the fire, we're figuring out how coaches have coached us. And also, you know, kind of asking the age-old question, um, you know, what is it like to be coached by me? That was something that I pulled from a book I read years ago by Joe Ehrman called Inside Out Coaching. And I always go back to that because I've had some very fortunate experiences that have moved me forward or, as we say at PN, kind of move the needle along towards optimal wellness and development and happiness. And I've also had some situations we were talking before about, you know, the, the connotations we associate or label to terms, right? So I've grown up at naturally a bigger guy. I've had my ups and downs with weight loss, with mental health, with, you know, physical performance and sport, and whether it was at the college level or amateur strongman and trying to attach myself continuously to that athletic uh, label. So it's really shaped me who I am as a coach, it shaped me who I am as a husband, and most importantly, you know, as a father, as I, you know, have brought two wonderful kids into this world, and I'm charged with that opportunity and responsibility to provide that environment and to make them as successful as possible while teaching them along the way. So I think all of those pieces have really shaped and continue to shape me uh, into who I am as I move forward. That's fantastic. Your explanation kind of brings out I guess sort of the next piece that I was kind of looking to talk about too, so which is perfect natural conversation or the flow of it. Uh, we talked about ontogeny, you talked about your own history. And one of the things I find with precision nutrition in general, all of their, um, I guess all of your, you're a part of the curriculum, all the curriculum there, uh, it's, it's very honest. It's, it's evidence-based for sure, but it's very open and honest. Mm-hmm. And that's reflective of the representatives. So you being one of the representatives, one of the faces uh, of and so to speak, you know, saying that you've had your own ups and downs, uh, you know, with, with dieting, with, with weight loss, with uh, at least, uh, uh, you know, being a father, being a husband, all the different hats and roles that you've played, um, that's so approachable. And, you know, we, we live in such a fitfluence world, right, where especially, I know you're pretty active on Instagram too, and all of these fitfluence people, you know, if you follow this workout for 12 weeks, you can look like me. And these people have been doing these workouts for 12 years. You know, and it's, it's, it's not sustainable. It's not true. It's, it's a, it's not honest. And so to be able to, to be the guy that's helping write the curriculum and say things like, you know, I've had my own struggles that just proves you're human, which is arguably anybody, anything anybody can be. It's, it's the easiest thing anybody can be is we, we meet, you've said it on another podcast. And again, I I don't remember which one it was, but it was aptly put, you know, you you meet people where they are and uh, that's the only way we can move forward is by starting from where we are, right? We can't, uh, you can't run a marathon uh, in a week. <laughs> you can't. Uh, you, you've you've you just said amateur strongman. You can't. You can't deadlift. You know your body weight in a week. Let alone teach the components of a proper deadlift within a week. It's it starts at baseline, and um, just hearing you, I, I think it's for me as a not only as a student but as a as a fan of of what you guys do. It's awesome to hear the representatives of the company that we put our trust in for this certification saying, hey. Um, you know, we're human too. And there's such a huge piece. I think that's a lot of the culture that you guys are creating there at PN. Yeah. And, you know, a lot obviously goes to credit to our co-founders, Dr. John Berardi and Phil Caravaggio and, and really our leadership team now as we've continued to grow. And, 
you know, I've gone from a fan of the program, you know, way back when, when I found PN as a student athlete, finishing up my last year in college, and then really growing with the company as it continued to grow. So again, I was made one of the first investments in a, in a hundred dollar professional education resource, which graduated into one of the earlier level one certification programs, which then brought me to the coaching program, which then brought me to the student level two program, and then obviously a full-time job later on. But what's been really great as I've challenged my own thoughts, my own beliefs about coaching and how I've shifted out of, you know, high performing division one cultures. I spent most of my career in college athletics and a short stint in the NFL And then running a gym for high school kids is really seeing how these elements all intersect to create that opportunity, to create that experience. Because something we pride ourselves on at PN, like you've talked about, is we're providing these resources for everyone. And the more that you can not necessarily specialize in generalities, right? Like, you know, there's going to be the fitfluencers that are going to work with the 40 to 50 year old executives, right? Or the 50 plus year olds that are struggling through perimenopause, whatever it might be. But understanding the the scope that you can approach a situation and coming down to one of the universal rules of just being a good human and being genuine and being authentic and bringing your best self really allows you to reach people on a completely different level. And that's something I've been very fortunate with the mentors I've had and the teams that I've worked with and the coworkers that have really opened my eyes to that. And, you know, at the, at the root of it, we call it client centered coaching. And that's, that's what we ultimately try to teach and ultimately try to instill into our clients. Because I always go back to that one question, Joe said many years ago, what's it like to be coached by me? And I always try and flip the narrative and ask myself, what I like to be coached by me right now. That's a very introspective approach to, you know, what you guys do. And I think, again, um, not to beat the horse too much, but it really, it really does bode well for the company. I, I just, I'm speaking not just as a podcast host, but as, as a student currently, and just, uh, I guess you would call it a fangirl of the process. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of, of what you guys uh, are doing, how you're, how you're approaching it. And so, um, you know, it's good to be a part of. Now we talk, uh, one of the reasons why I think, um, you and I got linked in general was the behavioral piece. And I know, um, precision is heavy on, on obviously nutrition. It's the second word in the name, but mm-hmm. you, and precision meaning, you know, it's, it's evidence-based. It's not just a guess where we're really looking at studies and like I can say, for example, or, you know, from my own experience, looking at the, um, the, the books and the curriculum, there's a case study to go with every chapter with every uh, sort of new uh, topic that they cover. There's a case study that goes over it to show you like a real world example. And I just think that's fantastic for, you know, for somebody, it just shows that you can be kind of, you, you can be like you, you know, you can have a specialty in your life uh, around uh, weightlifting or around nutrition. You could be immersed in the field forever, or you could be Joe Schmo off the street who just wants to not only help themselves, but help people in a different way. And you're still going to be able to get it. I think that's a really cool approach that PN takes. Um, but the, I'm really, in, really excited that they're, um, I keep saying there as if you're not a part of it, but as you, you guys uh, and, and gals over there that are really putting your hard work into this, you're showing value with the behavior piece as well. So uh, I know that's kind of your specialty. That's, that's what you're working on. It's sports psychology, right? For your PhD. It is. Yep. Yeah. So for you personally and being a coach, 
as well as as a team member for PN in general. How does your background in sports psychology or your understanding of human uh, behavior, I guess to say, uh, how does that, how will that, uh, I'm tongue tied here, sorry. How will that help your approach to being a better nutrition coach? There we go. That's what I was trying to get out. Yeah, that's a great question, Clint. And at, at the premise and the foundation of, of how we approach these situations and what our clients are going through. And I, I should say clients, that, that includes trainers, right? We're not just coaching active people that, you know, want to improve their health and wellness, but, you know, we're working with students, we're renting out software that they can use our methods and whatnot. But one thing that my mentor, Dr. Chris Scott Dixon, who, you know, directs our curriculum and really spearheads it talks about, and as you know, this with your background in behavior change as well, is that behaviors are done in an attempt to solve a problem. And, that could be very oversimplistic and I'd love to, you know, entertain a discussion on this. But once I started to conceptualize that and think about, well, why was my athlete acting that way? Or why were they so unwilling to receive my feedback or many coaches that we hear from it? Why aren't they doing the things I've told them to do? Right. And I'm sure when you're, when your field, you, you've realized that maybe experience of that too, is, is mm-hmm. we in a health fitness industry, have for the larger part assumed that we need to teach more. We need to tell them more. We need to give them more information. And I credit Dan and Chip Heath from a book, I think they wrote almost 10 years ago now called Switch. And it was one of the, the first books I read about behavior change in this process. And they use this metaphor about, you know, directing the rider and shaping the path and motivating the elephant about how people respond to our coaching, our directives and really enlightened with me this idea that we don't need to keep telling them more. We don't get, need to give them more stuff. And so what started was this epic journey, I want to say, is as I got better at understanding and I started reading you know, the authors that we were talking about earlier, really trying to put together this framework or a way to explain human behavior. Because if they're acting a certain way or they're not acting a certain way, what is that driven by? Is that driven by the thoughts that they have about themselves or about their situation? Does that lead into maybe some of the emotions that they feel? Are they responding to a certain situation or are they reacting to a certain situation? Because ultimately at the end of the the cycle or the triangle, whatever's on the plate, you know, figuratively, metaphorically at the end of the day is really a summation of everything that has happened before that. And so I don't know, maybe this is a little bit of a broad-based answer, but it's really That's allowed great. me with the curriculum that we've done and the opportunities to speak to other professionals of maybe we've been doing this wrong. And I like how you bring up this idea of like precision, right? And we've actually had discussions about this years ago, but I remember when I first found Precision Nutrition, it was very much like do this, don't do that. And that's something that we've really pulled away from. So not many people know this, but there were an original like 10 healthy habits that Dr. John Brardy had recommended. And it was your typical, like eat every two to three hours, eat lean protein with every meal, you know, try to eat organic and minimally processed as possible, save carbs for after you work out. And it worked like it worked for a lot of people. But then we also realized that we couldn't be so rigid and structured because we weren't truly understanding the context around everybody else's life. Right. And, and now we talk about the taking a biopsychosocial approach. And so to kind of wrap all that up, Clint, and hopefully I haven't gone off too many tangents here, 
once we started to really analyze why people were making decisions and why things were going the way they were, it really opened up this idea of, hey, you know what? Nutritional biochemistries hasn't really changed much, but why people act the way they do, it has. And this is a really good opportunity to help our coaches, help our trainers, and help our clients truly understand why they're doing what they're doing instead of just a traditional shame-based coaching or, you know, here's another meal plan for you. And it's, you know, the results are with everything that you see online, which is very fortunate. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. R- right at the end there. So first of all, that wasn't too broad of a based answer. That was fantastic. Um, you answered everything in the question. So that, at least you answered everything that I was asking and whoever's listening might be asking the same questions. So you answered quite a bit there in a short amount of time. Great job. But the, uh, you were talking there at the end about shame-based coaching. I, I like you said how you said that. So kind of, I, I try to flip some things to a behavioral audience because that's what, you know, that's our, our main, mm-hmm. the main pond that I swim in, so to speak. And, you know, we're trying to disseminate as well and get out there a little bit. So uh, shame-based coaching, just in, in its name alone, it sounds like something based off of a punishment procedure, meaning, you know, I, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to introduce a stimulus that stops you from doing something in the future. Uh, you know, if it's I'm shaming you into eating less or whatever it might be. That's we, we've seen in our studies through applied behavior analysis that using punishment alone uh, in behavioral change is not sustainable. Um, as a matter of fact, it's actually frowned upon. And uh, we have an ethical code in with the clients that we work with to exhaust every, every reinforcement uh, protocol we have available before we even touch a punishment procedure. Of course, caveats exist, but that's the main part of, of what we do. So you kind of switched it from there to you know, values-based coaching, uh, meeting your clients where they are. And that's why we do what we do. That was exactly what you said. And that's one of the things that we in ABA figure out. Why, why do human beings do what they do? And people ask me, um, kind of as you did, you know, people know we exist, but don't necessarily know what we do. So being a BCBA, board certified behavior analyst, people ask me, you know, what do you do? And, uh, and I simply say that I, I help figure out why people do what they do and bring socially significant change. And that's, that's the biggest part, not just change, but socially significant. What's, um, what's something that's significant to that person? What's something that's significant to their environment? What's something that's significant to, you know, their loved ones? Uh, what kind of behaviors do they, do they want to stop doing? And we'll obviously take those down, but what we're really focused on is what deficits do you have? Um, there's a reason why you're not doing the right things uh, as far as, you know, prescription goes. And we're going to figure out what that is. And we're not really going to focus on what we want you to stop as much. We're going to focus on what we want you to learn. And along the way with some of our principles, that's going to help you stop those other things and learn to increase the other ones. And so I always say like for ABA, right? Applied behavior analysis. That's where I come from, my background. And it's the science of human behavior. And so it may be based out of a science, but the application is an art. Uh, It's an art form to apply that science to each individual. As you said it best, there's, there's not just 10 rules that fit everybody because every, I mean, there's so many things that go on with each individual humans, you know, uh, we talked about ontogeny and phylogeny a bit ago, all of their, uh, the, the biomes within human beings, you know, our genetic differences, our own histories, all that crazy stuff that we could dive into on its own conversation. But the one thing that is the same with everybody is that everybody, everybody does, right? Everybody does. Everybody does a thing. And so everybody exhibits what we would consider what I call n- nutritional behavior. Um, everybody eats, 
everybody, you know, those things are very common across every person. So what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to approach that. And that seems to be what PN is doing. Uh, I think I was talking with, with Jason, um, you know, about, we talked about this off, uh, off, off the side a little bit there before we started about how precision is started with the nutrition piece. And now they're kind of reaching out and expanding into the, as you said, the biopsychosocial side, um, the behavior chef, we started in the, uh, the behavioral side and now we're kind of reaching back out into the nutrition side to get more, uh, informative to get more understanding on that regard. So how we can best help people in both spaces and both of us coming together in the middle, I think is a fantastic, uh, approach of how we can look at nutrition or what I would consider a holistic approach, right? We're not in, in both sides to this coin. We're looking at people's nutrition and, and, and what makes up their daily nutrition. And we're also looking at why, why they eat that way, why they do what they do. Why, why do they order McDonald's all the time? Why do they go to fast food? Why do they cook at home so much? Um, you know, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here myself, but to tie it all together with you and me, we were talking before we started about how we're actually using these principles to help us during quarantine, right? Um, I talked about like my wife and I didn't have a Costco membership beforehand because it's just the two of us. We don't have uh, kids like you guys do. And I, I don't really, I didn't see the justification for bulk stuff. But since we have stay at home orders that are pretty stringent here in Illinois, uh, we decided to do the Costco thing so we could go to the store less, save some money. And then that, that led into like menus, uh, faux menus. I don't have anything written out, but you know, we, we like what we like. So we make these meals. And so we're eating at home. We're saving money. We're actually losing uh, weight, which is a goal for ourselves. It's a personal goal, a contextual goal for me. And the quarantine has actually been very helpful in that regard because I can focus on the behaviors that I want to change. And you kind of, you kind of echoed the same sort of sent- sentiment with your family. Um, using these skills, it doesn't really have to do with so much as what we're eating or what we're doing, what we're not doing, but how we're doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And hopefully there's a lot more of people like us out there that are using this pandemic and, you know, shelter in place, whatever stage you might be in. And whenever this comes out to actually have these opportunities to answer that definition of what is it going to take for me to get better? And, you know, you said earlier, it's all about context. So for me, somebody that works full-time, I was going to school full-time. My partner, she was going to school full-time, working full-time. We've got two kids, ages seven and five. They're doing activities. And all of these situations created the the natural response for, well, we'll just pick something up on the way home, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, we'll just wait until later or we'll go out to eat and things like that where yeah, at the time, right, when you're talking about behavior analysis, it, it probably helped with some short-term coping. I didn't have to worry about thinking about what I had to make for dinner or did I bulk prep for tomorrow or, you know, what's in the, it was just an easy fix, put a Band-Aid on it. And I've really embraced, you know, I, I'll be, I'll, I'll admit it, the first month I probably had some fun, you know, mm-hmm. buying some things that I probably normally wouldn't have, but there was nothing else in the grocery store. So, you know, I got to enjoy some of those fun foods. But after a while, I realized hey, this is a great opportunity to get back to the fundamentals, to really look at how my environment is shaping the decisions that I'm making. And what I really appreciated the most was 
how I could bring my family along with this. And yes, well, my, my wife knows it, right? She, she's got a PhD in teaching administration. She's PN level two certified. We were strength conditioning coaches for a number of years. So she understands that. But in the context of real life, we're also identifying as parents and very sleep deprived doctoral students, right? <laughs> so when you tie all these pieces in, right, it's not just the biological piece, but as you talked about earlier, and what we talk about at PN is this, you know, what about the psychology, right? What, what is our mindset? How are we approaching this situation? And what is the social context, I think, which has really driven us? Now it's only us. Now I can't make that decision to be like, oh, I'll just head down, you know, get takeout. I could, but there's definitely a bigger risk of doing that. So now this has put me back into the kitchen. I mean, for, I've made my own sauce. I have 0% <laughs> of Italian in me. That's amazing. But I, I finally made my own spaghetti sauce. And it was not as good as I thought it would be the first time, but it got a lot better. And I was like, this is great, right? So I'm not relying on the, the short, quick fixes. I've got the time to do it. And I, I hope at the end of this, these are the habits and routines and skills that are going to stay with me whenever that next sense of normalcy will occur. Yeah, I, I've actually got, uh, I got to commend you on that because making the sauce can be daunting. I've actually got, I was funny, I was about to talk about that specific behavioral chain of, of learning the sauce, specifically that marinara, if that's what you're talking about. Um, so a few weeks back, one of the things I decided to do during quarantine was host a, a weekly, um, we called it the Behavior Chef Cookout. And we did um, Dr. Maggie Pavone. She's a, a professor of mine at Lindenwood University here in St. Louis and, uh, you know, a friend of the Behavior Chef. She lent us her ACE. Uh, she was a part of our ACE certification. And so we were giving out CEUs to BCBAs. Um, and we, what we were doing was teaching cooking skills using behavior analysis and, you know, doing it in a way that could help people learn and, and, you know, further their own uh, professional repertoires. But actually the, maybe not the last one, the third one, we, we did four in a row. Uh, and that was, that was kind of, that was bigger piece of cake than I thought I was taking on. But it was a lot of fun. And one of the last things that we did was a task analysis, which is essentially a recipe, right? just step-by-step instructions um, on doing a marinara sauce. And I taught them how to do a marinara sauce from scratch in about 20 minutes. And um, if, if you are listening to this, you're interested to know about it. If you head over to our Instagram, uh, Behavior Chef Instagram, there's a, a highlight there that says Behavior Chef Cookout. And if you click through it, you'll see the the pictures of people making the marinara sauce and people that had, some had done it before, some had never even, you know, tried. I got a, so we're talking, that was probably two, three weeks ago, right? I got two mentions, two, three mentions the other day um, saying, Hey, this is, this is a dinner that I made with the last of the behavior chef cookout uh, marinara sauce that we made a couple weeks ago. And now they know how to make it. It's, and they have the confidence to make it because they've got the skills down. We used what we call behavior skills training um, to teach it. And it's a very effective tool with an ABA to do a bunch of different things, but we, we got to, to teach it and now it's a part of their repertoire. And so what we're trying to do here is get, like I was talking about before, get more excitement for the kitchen. And I love that you brought up the marinara sauce because it's really, it's, it sounds difficult. And that's what a lot of people get caught up on is cooking from scratch or scratch cooking is going to take me at least an hour. Um, you know, and you've, you just said it right. There's a lot of people in your shoes maybe not, you know, double PhD candidates within the same household, but um, people that are working full-time, probably more than one job, got kids, you know, stuck at home in a pandemic, and they want to bring, hopefully if they're listening to this too, it's helpful because they want to bring healthful behaviors to their kids 
But at the same time, the response effort to do so is so high, it's a lot easier to push the favorite order button on uh, Domino's or whatever and have contactless delivery. I mean, kudos to all the uh, franchises out there. They've really figured out how to adapt quickly to, you know, can you believe the world ended and Little Caesars began to deliver? That was <laughs> that it's, was absolutely insane. It's amazing. But, but you bring up a good point, Clint, is – and this comes back to me for coaching. And I think this has probably been one of my biggest takeaways during this quarantine process is when you remove all of the what-ifs and the maybes and the possiblies and you're left with, like, the absolutelys, it is amazing what you can accomplish. And far too often, I think, especially in my role as, like, an athletic performance coach is – we create these environments where our athletes or our clients don't have to think about all of this, right? Everything is given to them. Everything is made up for them. Their weights are where they're supposed to be. Their cards all done, whatever it might be. And, but once you get put in a situation where you remove a lot of the barriers or you set up a lot of obstacles, right? You're going to find a way. And so I've really appreciated that from a personal level is, well, guess what? You can't go out to eat, right? Or, because there was a time where you couldn't. Uh, guess what? You can't just go downstairs and hang out or do this or maybe the Wi-Fi is out, whatever it might be. And throughout this whole process, it's really enlightened and encouraged me, which has helped me with the people I work with, of you'd be amazed on what's possible when you actually either removed all of the barriers or obstacles or some got put in your way and you actually had to work and cognitively process how to solve this solution. You bring up a great point there. I think um, boiling it down is environment controls everything. Uh, Our environment actually dictates the behaviors that we emit, that we do. Um, So, for example, if your environment is nothing but, you know, sugary sweets, carbs, all that great stuff, and you're wanting to eat healthy, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to do that. Um, You know, it's going to be really, really difficult to to engage in the behaviors that you want to when the reinforcement is in front of you, speaking behaviorally, right? When you have two types of reinforcers, I could make the food myself and really enjoy a nice home-cooked meal and be proud of it and know what's in it and be healthy. Or the learning history, right, over here on the left is my favorite snack. Like for me, I love pizza rolls. I have since I was a kid. Who doesn't? Right. And my kids call them pizza bombs. Got to love Totinos, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> shout out. Right. They should sponsor this. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you throw those bad boys in the oven, it's like you're eating a gourmet meal. Um, but again, who has time for that? So you nuke them in the microwave. Let's be honest with ourselves here. It's you've been working all day. It's late. Um, you didn't even realize that you haven't eaten until your stomach says, hey, you need to eat something. So you throw pizza rolls in the microwave, you scarf them down, you go back to what you're doing. And, you know, nutritionally they're they're fairly let's be honest as much as we love them they're nutritionally empty uh, <laughs> as far as things that give us uh, nutrients they're they're not really full of those things but the home-cooked meal might have been and so what's standing in our way what's standing in the normal person's way the average person's way it's the environment that we've set up uh, or that we have set up maybe not even we've set it up maybe just the life around us has set it up so now I hope that the, I hope some of the good things that people are going through um, in this quarantine situation, it's kind of like what you're talking about. One of the good things that I've noticed is that this pandemic, all of its craziness, has removed so many distractions and so many opportunities for me to engage in those behaviors that I don't want to, right? It's, it, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I don't want to go eat Taco Bell. Uh, I want to go eat Taco Bell, but I know I don't want to go eat Taco Bell, if that makes sense. I know I, I would rather 
find an alternative to make that same thing at home with my own ingredients that's healthier. So I still get what I want, but I don't have to go. And, and for, we talked about before the, the guilt that can really come with, you know, indulging into something you didn't want to, but you didn't feel like you had control over. I know I'm talking to somebody in the audience about this because I, I've, you and I both spoke about it. You know, we've dealt with these kind of things in our own life. Uh, you've, you've kind of alluded to it earlier. You had a little bit of fun with some of the, some of the food at the beginning. So did I. Pizza rolls was definitely on the menu. Yeah. You know, you got frozen potato products and absolutely. Maybe Again, the, the options, right? Because my kids will eat them, and sure. they're in a, yeah, that's, they're, in that's a the they're in a position. Yeah, <laughs> they're in a position where you know we they can quote unquote get away with it. But again, so could I. But if, if I if I reframe the narrative and I ask myself, what does this food provide for me? Because th- that's what's great about being an adult is you can own the decision, right? Nobody is telling us for the most part that you can't have that. So if you're going to have that, these are the questions that you ask yourself. You know, will this bring me closer to my goals, right? Or am I doing this because I'm upset or am I overloaded? I was, you know, just recently reading an article about explaining procrastination from a psychological perspective. And it's not so much wasting time. It's about our emotional response to that. So when we go through this process of making these decisions of like, hey, you want to go get Taco Bell? That's cool. You're an adult, but understand and, and figure out the process of, of what that means to you. And if you can have it and you can have a healthy relationship with these types of fun foods and it doesn't derail you whatsoever, whether that's mentally, physically, or emotionally, however you want to slice it, then keep on keeping on. Like nobody's here to tell you you can't. I think that's something I've appreciated from working with PN is, you know, there are no bad foods. There are essentially what I look at uh, bad responses, but not even that it's about uh, those responses are going to give you data. And if you can uh, apply that from a data driven framework, you're going to learn what makes you feel good, what you're going to value more. And for me, from a sports psych perspective, uh, really discover that intrinsic motivation is what's going to pull you to make those decisions, right? I know I am inherently appreciative of the fact that I can make marinara sauce and I can cook better from scratch with some certain things. That makes me feel good. Therefore, I'm going to keep doing it. So I think it all it all ties into a lot of factors that you bring up. Yeah, no, that's you said words there that are going to make our audience sing when they listen to it. Data driven is like the 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 beautiful song that that sings over ABA practitioners. Every decision that we make in treatment for our clients is not based on what we think will work. It's based on what our data has shown to be effective. And that, that's one reason why I've loved Precision so far. I, I can't wait to continue in the program. I know Tony, uh, my partner in Behavior Chef, I know he echoes that same sentiment. Everything is data-driven. It's backed by you know, different studies, analysis. So it's not just taking a guess at something. You know, This might work. It's literally based on, and it's tailored to each person. That's, we've talked about that a lot too. It's individualistic but it's based on results. It's based on yeah. research. And, and you're going to, as you proceed through the, the course, and I'm sure, you know, Tony has gone through this, but we try to simplify it as much as possible because as you know, right, you can get lost in the white paper and the peer reviews and the yes. APA references. And, you know, that's something I'm struggling with right now as I, res, you know, write my results in discussion. But, you know, can we simplify this to a six-step process, right? And it all comes down to what we call outcome-based decision-making is, you do something, right? The whole scientific method, you, you assess and you gather data, you understand and how this applies to the situation or person, you come up with a plan, you choose one thing 
or a specific action plan. And then you observe and you monitor what happens. And from there is the most important piece, I believe, is, all right, now let's analyze it. Let's evaluate. Did we get what we were looking for, right? Did our hypothesis come true? If so, do we keep doing the thing or more of the thing? Or if it didn't, and we use outcome-based decision-making, let's use the data that we've collected. That could be feelings. That could be body composition percentage points. That could be relationships with other people. Once we establish what we've measured and how that relates to our ultimate outcome, we then make the decision off that. What should we do now and how do I move forward? That's fantastic. I think that, uh, I hope that people listening will be interested themselves. I know there's uh, who I'm speaking to right now, the ABA audience. I know there's a lot of uh, ABA practitioners who are interested in kind of breaking that wall to get out of our mainstream, uh, uh, put a foot in another field. And I think nutrition is the next area for us to go, especially now, um, you know, it's primed for people at stuck at home and precision is based solely online. So I think, uh, uh that, that model that they teach in it to be able to do coaching online is it's fantastic. Like, talk about environment, the environment of the world right now is perfect for uh, online coaching. And so, or, and, and I think it's showing um, that it's, it's kind of making the landscape available for that in the future, even when we get back to some sort of normalcy, that um, a lot of the things that we had before, you know, a lot of in-person things aren't as needed as we thought they were. So, you know, that, that helps a lot for um, those that are interested in breaking out. But I hope if you're listening and you're listening to what Adam's saying, if you're in you know the ABA circles or hopefully if you're not, you're listening there too. Um, d- decision driven or d- sorry, data driven decisions uh, is what it's all about, and that's where precision nutrition comes in. That's what we're excited about, behavior chef wise, and uh, you know that's why I'm excited with Adam's research, with what he's doing with the PhD candidacy, with with writing curriculum for PN. Uh, we know we're in safe hands because everything is controlled and, and, you know, the variables are taken accounted for as far as what might work, but what will work is really what we're, what outcome to, to use the language uh, is what we're looking at. Those outcome measures based on scientific evidence. And I, you know, I can't sing that those praises enough, Adam, for what you guys are doing over there. Um, do you guys have anything new in the works uh, as far as like the psychosocial side is is concerned? Yeah, so actually just recently been very fortunate and proud to be part of our curriculum team. We've actually just released uh, a few of our new definitive guides. So in addition to like our level one and level two certification programs, we have started to fill a gap of, okay, you know, now I'm in the PN family, so to speak, right? Like you're, you're one of us now, Clint, welcome to the team. Yeah. But how do you continue to learn, right? How do you get your professional development? So we've been very fortunate to come up with a team of, you know, experts in all fields. We're talking, you know, epidemiology, we're talking uh, studies overall, we're talking registered dietitians, PhDs, and all of these people come together, high level coaches. And so this past fall, we put together, you know, really the definitive guide to macronutrients and helping specific populations. If, If macros are your deal, and they're an important part of your coaching toolbox, hey, we're going to go and we're going to do a deep dive on that. So you have that and you understand how to apply it appropriately. But most recently, we just released the definitive guide on intermittent fasting, as well as something that I'm super proud of the team to really call this out in in an area that has not been addressed to the level and the attention it deserves, but plant-based eating. 
And typically, right, when you talk about protein recommendations, it's just very easy for most of us that, you know, throw another steak on the grill or, you know, cook up some chicken breast. But in the, in the age of, you know, animal welfare and just overall understanding the decisions we make around food and how they impact everything involved, not just the people buying it. Uh, it's been an incredible guide. So actually, these are, are hot off the digital press. <laughs> and I really encourage that you, you have an opportunity to check those out because uh, they are chock full of, of interviews and real data and stories from people that have gone through this uh, top down. And so, yeah, that's actually one of our most recent uh, launches. So hope you can check that out. Yeah, I, I personally can't wait to dive into that uh, myself. And that's that's one of the things that I, you know, as part of Behavior Chef, I, I tried to expose myself to new experiences as far as culinary uh, things are concerned. So, you know, I, learning a new dish starts with my favorite part of it, trying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I, you, you don't know if you like something unless you try it. So I've, you know, I am... I've spoken at length on here about how I, you know, I love to barbecue. I love to do all these things. So I'm, I'm clearly not um, plant-based myself, but I do enjoy some very delicious plant-based meals from time to time. So I think, and I know that there's a growing number, as you were talking about, of people that are interested in becoming plant-based and, and that are plant-based. And I think it's fantastic that PN is giving those people a seat at the table as they should. Um, and so looking at, at the same kind of things, like you said, it's easy for most of us to say throw another steak on, uh, you know, lots of protein in there, uh, you know, just go ahead and eat it. Not a big deal. And those that are doing the plant-based stuff, they deserve a seat too. I think that's absolutely fantastic. You guys are diving in there. And I have uh, time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you want to look at the, the data behind that, that's a great thing to dive into as well because that's something that I've, I've been doing for about a year. Uh, myself, I use intermittent fasting, uh, time restricted feeding, I guess, to be more precise um, every day. And it's been very helpful for me. And it's it's very sustainable. I think that's the thing. I think that's one of the big words that PN is looking for, uh, you know, when they're trying to answer the question, it's what is sustainable. Um, you know, we talked about that too earlier, that sustainability is really the the idea that you know, after you finish something, it's it's not a crash, it's not a fad, it's a lifestyle. Uh, you know, you've made some kind of change that you consider a healthful behavior. It's sort of a term we're using around here, um, that your healthful behavior has changed in a way that you can continue. Um, you know, I can do, I can do my specific dietary preferences anywhere that I go. There's no limitation specifically. And, uh, I love that you said it so well earlier that there is no bad food, um, Mm. because that creates such a negative thing. I, I can't have that, you know? So, uh, I think we see it a lot of times in the this space, as we call it, the binge restrict pattern. Um, a lot of times, I know that there are other issues that come along with it, but one of the biggest ones, and that one that I've experienced myself, I can actually speak to uh, contextually, is binge restrict. You know that that food is bad, so I can't have it, and I restrict myself from it for so long to where it's uh, behaviorally speaking that the, the 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 want is so strong that it overtakes my other behavior repertoires, and I dive into it. And I eat it and I love it in the moment. And then the shame and the guilt come and it just circles back around and around. And it's this cycle that's hard to break. But you guys are really trying to focus on, you know, no food is bad, um, but behavioral repertoires matter. So, you know, if you're going to do this and enjoy this, which you should do so in moderation, you know, be mindful of what you're eating and when. Um, I love those small practical tips because they're not hard to do, but they can change the entire behavioral repertoire for anybody listening. 
Yeah. And you know, a famous one liner I use a lot with the athletes I work with is it, it may not be simple or excuse me, it, it, it's simple what we're asking you to do, but I know it's not easy. So for anybody to say, yeah, go ahead and have that treat or go ahead and have that food that you probably don't have a lot. That's, that's a simple thing to do, but you know, don't overeat it. But I know that's not easy. And when we think about the steps that we put into play, helping them build, you know, our, our, our entire model of coaching is really driven by what we call GSPA. But, you know, how do we go from a goal to developing the skills that they need to learn and, and maybe maintain to move towards that goal? And how do we break those down into practices that will help build those skills? But most importantly, the actions that I can take on a regular basis. And so, you know, with my background in strength conditioning coaching, there's this principle of the KISS principle, you know, so when you're writing programs for everybody, they say, you know, keep it simple. And then you insert stupid Sally, Steven, whatever you want. Right. But I've evolved it into when we're coaching nutrition is, is keep it simple, keep it sustainable and self-determined because now we're really applying the low hanging fruits that we talk about. We're applying the ability to continue to do it when you go to a family party or when you go, when you're traveling or when you're stuck in quarantine, and then you work on the, the self-determined behaviors is we're giving the autonomy to the individual to make these choices for themselves so that it leads ultimately to a higher level of satisfaction. That's so powerful, the, the autonomy. What a, what a powerful word that is to you know, give to someone um, just through, through coaching. I mean, you, you give, that's such a rewarding thing. You give somebody the power to change themselves in a way they want to. And uh, as you said, it, it sounds simple and it is simple in theory, but it's difficult in practice. Sure. And I think that the piece about, and that's, that's actually uh, was an original piece of my initial research when I started going back to school is, you know, I'm very involved with this idea of autonomy, supportive coaching, you know, especially from a, a weight room perspective or just, you know, working with student athletes. But, you know, autonomy is if we look at, you know, some of the old, old original research from DC and Ryan and the whole self-determination theory, that, that's a basic psychological need. And so if we're not fulfilling, if we're not helping our clients uh, fulfill this sense of ownership and control, in addition to addressing their competence and relatedness, so the competence, right? I, I don't want to set you up for failure. I want to I take it small and progress it accordingly. And then giving them a tribe or a group, a, a coaching support, having them be a part of something bigger than themselves, then at the end of the day, what are we really teaching them? Because if they're going to the meal plan, if they're going to the Excel document, if they're just logging in all their food and tracking and they don't develop the skill of self-regulation, I just don't, I won't say I don't see the purpose, but I think we're missing out in the big picture. And that's to help them take these skills and practices and transform it, not just from a nutritional standpoint, but to other areas of their life as well. Absolutely. That kind of alludes back to the sustainability piece. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if we're, if, if I'm giving you, uh, you know, if I'm telling you how to run a marathon, if I'm telling you, you know, if, if I'm giving you the coach to five or couch to 5k type of thing, right. And signing you up for a marathon and giving you all the supplements to do it, but we're not giving you the ability to be self-paced and actually go through the workouts to get there. Good luck on marathon day. Right. And, uh, and I have no idea why I keep coming back to this uh, image of, of running a marathon because I'm never going to do that in my life. And God bless those people that do their rocks. Yeah, you, you say that, Clint. I said the same thing. I mean, I only made it to a half marathon, but hey, it's, it's what? 12 those, those and a half couch. Months? Yeah, those those couch to 5K people. I mean, they got it figured out, right? We, right, we associate. They do. Yeah, like here I am. Here's where I want to go. 
And it's, it's a typical behavior, you know, goal orientation model of like, this is what I want. This is the outcome. And here are all the things I have to do. They took it literally step by step, like no pun intended, like run, (laughs) run for, run for 30 seconds, then run for three bouts of 30 seconds and then run for a minute. And that's what I've loved just growing with precision nutrition is we have taken that same approach and we don't just, you know, fire hose you. We, we, we give you a, a slow drip out of the faucet and say, we want to build up your self-efficacy. We want to build up your confidence. We want to give you the skills and, and tools to practice. And we want you to feel good doing that. And when you're ready for more, we'll give you more. And we're just building you up the entire way. I, man, that is, you have, a, you've had an answer for everything I brought to you. What a fantastic career you've had so far. <laughs> That's such an awesome thing that, that, you guys represent that you're putting together and that, you know, I'm excited. It gives me more uh, encouragement to be a part of the team, uh, to be, you know, a student and to really dive in. And I'm excited to bring my, uh, my background of behavior analysis to nutrition. And because I, I've, I've heard it from, I listen to a lot of podcasts in the, the health and wellness space and a lot of trainers and a lot of people talk about kind of what you're talking about. I can give you all the information, but I don't understand why I can't get you to do it. And that's where, you know, that's where our field kind of comes in is how can we make it sustainable and how can we get you, like, your analogy is fantastic, spot on. How, how do we not fire hose you? How do we not railroad you? How do we just give you a small drip at a time to build you up? And that's the question a lot of people in the space don't seem to answer or don't, you know, don't seem to ask the right question, I suppose. And you guys are, you guys are nailing it. So I'm super psyched, psyched to be a part of it. Uh, thank you for all your research, you know, all the stuff that you've done. Um, you specifically, but you all as a collective, as a, as a group, I know that's a lot of hard work. So I want to give, you know, homage where it's due. Um, and you specifically about to be, uh, you know, you, you said it yourself a couple months away from your PhD, uh, uh, gosh, your dissertation, um, defense. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just actually got done collecting data and specifically my research is looking on about the, uh, the use of sports psychology techniques in coaching. And so I've actually done a two-part study, interviewed a couple hundred coaches uh, from a descriptive standpoint, and now just finished up interviews with uh, a range of Division One coaches. And really to, to get a pulse on how it's being used, what they know about it, and what are some of the things standing in their way. And it's been very exciting and just kind of going through the transcription process right now. But I'm hoping and I'm, and I'm confident in, in my ability to kind of fill this gap and help coaches coach better because that's what PN's done for me. And uh, I'm just trying to continue to pay it forward and, and serve all the people around. Absolutely fantastic. So if, if anybody listening is interested, not just in PN, I know I, I'll link everything down for them to get there. But if they're interested in, in you specifically, how can they get in touch with, with Adam? Uh, so email is probably best simply because I'm trying to take a little bit of a, a social media hiatus. I know we were talking a little bit. I just got done with finals and now it's kind of crunch time with the, the writing. But uh, if anybody wants to reach me, my email is adam.fight uh, at precisionnutrition.com. Uh, probably the best because obviously I'm checking that daily. But I'm also on Instagram at aefight and Twitter, adam underscore fight. Facebook is usually my go-to, but uh, I think I've reached the cap on friends, which is kind of cool, but also <laughs> kind of like, now what? So if anybody's got any tips on there, let me know. But uh, I'm an open book. I hope to learn, and I continue to learn from everybody around me. So whether you're just getting into this field or you're from a completely different field, uh, I'd love to connect because I think that's how we're all going to 
grow this thing, strengthen numbers on improving, you know, all aspects of life and performance together. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, Adam, we're, you know, coming to a, a wind up here, kind of wrapping things up. And I just, sometimes I like to ask, and I think you're a perfect person to ask, uh, ask my guests if they have uh, about their area of study, about their area of what you would coin expertise. Are there, you know, two or three things, just like nuggets you could give our listeners to do to help themselves? And I think yours, what, the question would be good for you is what, what are a couple of things we can practically do right now? today, this minute, listening to this, if, uh, during this stay at home order or the new normal, whatever it is, what are some things that I can do real quick just to help get my foot in the right direction for that healthful behavior? Yeah, that's a great way of ending this. I appreciate you bringing this up. The probably first thing I'd recommend, and you try to internalize it, and, I, and I'm trying to be cautious of my language here because I don't want to direct it and tell you to do things, right? I want to be very compassionate in this approach, but realize that you are worth it. You are worth it to learn more. You are worth it to explore and discover what you're capable of. So if you're kind of on the fence of, I don't know, this isn't for me, or it's kind of really outside my wheelhouse, or I just don't have the time, you do. And you are completely 100% truly holistically and authentically worth it to learn more, to discover more, or to get support. You know, I've made decisions in my life recently. I've hired coaches in different areas of my life because coaches need coaches too. So I would start off there. Number one is, is you are worth it and understand that you have a, a something to give, whether that's yourself or to the people around you. And then secondly, I would encourage all of you to think about and continue to practice self-compassion. I think this is an area, especially now in the time that we're in that and I've seen it on social media, I'm sure you have too, Clint, about this idea that with all this free time and all of this opportunity, right, if we don't walk out of this with a new skill or a new discovery or we're better or out of debt, like we wasted our time. And in reality, no, we didn't. Like it's okay to be okay. So, you know, practice that area of mindfulness where you, you're a little bit more aware of what you're doing and thinking, but you're not judging yourself for it. I think that's crucial. And then, you know, you tap into this idea of, I think uh, Kristen Neff talks about this, but this common humanity, right? You're not alone. I'm going through it too. And I, I posted on my Instagram a couple weeks ago, like we're all in this storm together. We may be in different boats, but we're all going through something. And then practice that self-kindness, like be generous and indecent to yourself. And I think that goes into echoing number one. And then the last piece is, and I'll steal this from PN directly, but, you know, shoot for progress, not perfection. I think in the, in the fields that we're in and the roles that we hold, it's very easy for us to demand our best, to continue to expect from ourselves as others, A plus effort all the time, but that's not how life works. And there are going to be seasons of life. There are going to be ebbs and flows. And so when you can continue to keep showing up to keep, you know, quote unquote, chop wood, carry water and bring something more consistently you're going to see the, you know, the law of compound interest or the law of the slight edge really come to fruition. So hopefully those weren't too meta or one-liner cliches, but that's, those have been some areas that I've been thinking about as, as I navigate this storm with all of you as well. No, those are perfect. Those are practical and, and pretty quick hitters so people can kind of take them with them. Uh, those little nuggets are, are fantastic. Well, hey, Adam, thank you very much for joining us today. Again, if you guys are interested in precision nutrition, um, I'll link all the stuff in the show notes. Um, you go find Adam on all the socials. 
as always, you know where we're at, uh, at The Behavior Chef on Instagram, at Behavior Chef on Facebook, The Behavior Chef at Gmail. And of course, you can get to all those things through behaviorchef.com. But just come check us out. Drop us a line. Let us know how this this really cool conversation helped you because I know it's already helped me and I know it's going to help some people out there. So uh, until next time, guys, have a great uh, day, night, week, whatever you're doing. Just do it well and be kind to yourself.